So we've spent some time now drawing attention to some of the elements of soul-making practice uh, around which we need to take care and which we need to give some consideration or uh, some development um, if we want to ensure as much as possible that these kinds of practices and this kind of path of soul making doesn't actually create more dukkha or uh, in different ways or, or bring um, its own whole set and level of problems. Um, now I would like to turn that uh, around, so to speak, in a manner of, speak, in a manner of speaking, and um, talk a little bit about how in, uh, sensing with soul <coughs> and uh, imaginal practices uh, can uh, relieve dukkha, free us from dukkha, bring some kind of liberation in regard to some some dukkha that we are experiencing or some situation of dukkha, some kind of healing, some kind of resolution or clarity or empowerment or something. Um, So if you've been listening to the the imaginal talks from from when we we first started, um, Theatre of Cells and maybe even before that, I can't remember, but, um, and and the, the sort of whole trajectory there in different retreats, you'll have heard many, many examples of situations of dukkha, or sense of some kind of dukkha, some kind of pain, uh, suffering, imprisonment, confusion, um, and in all the different domains of uh, one's being, and not and then practicing not an avoidance of that dukkha, not a turning away from it, and uh, but rather a being with it, an intimacy with the dukkha, a holding of the pain in in the emotional body, in the energy body, um, aware of the situation, and then that being with the, the dukkha, with care, and with the body, and with the sensitivity, um, uh, out of that an image Um, arose, an imaginal image, and that transformed the whole sense of the situation, the whole sense of the dukkha, bringing some relief, some ease, some freedom, some dissolving of the dukkha, um, not often completely. So it's a slightly different approach here. Rather, what what it leaves is not a sort of um, bland, uh, blandly peaceful situation. So it's slightly different there. Um, but the the being with the dukkha, the going into it, holding and relating to it in a certain way, allowing uh, allows sometimes in the in the kind of alchemy there an an image to arise that becomes imaginal and that then transforms and and with it brings an alchemy that um, transforms the dukkha that, that brings some kind of freedom from dukkha. That's often uh, quite remarkable and and beautiful. So I want to talk about that 
a little bit, as you said, if you've been listening, you, you'll have heard many instances, and I hope that if also if you're listening, you, you will have recognized this in your own experience by now. Um, many, hopefully, uh, uh, situations of dukkha for yourself that have been uh, transformed, liberated, opened up, given another dimension, freed in some regard through the emergence of the imaginal um, in a way that wasn't contrived, wasn't um, coming along to saying, well, what, what can I imagine to make myself feel better here and going and moving away and avoiding the dukkha by, by being, as I said, intimate with the dukkha and the imaginal arising out of that. So I want to um, draw attention to this, if it should already be obvious for anyone listening at this point, but just say a little bit more about it as one of the options that we have um, as practitioners, one of the ways of approaching dukkha, and also one of the options we have of conceiving of what is going on um, in, in regard to imaginal practice, in regard to dukkha, in regard to pathology, etc. So, uh, one option, among others, not better, not worse, just, just another option, another angle in, uh, with regard to dukkha, uh, and freeing from dukkha, and also with regard to the whole kind of edifice of conceptions um, around dukkha, and freedom from dukkha, uh, and soul, and all of that. So as I said, you you will have heard many uh, many examples, um, stories I've related of myself or of some someone else um, I've been working with or who's shared with me something or other, and, and said it's okay to share it. Uh, and hopefully you'll have seen this for yourself. There's some kind of emotional difficulty, or um, the nervous system is agitated, unsettled, jangly, and, and the mind won't settle down. Um, some kind of um, difficulty in the field of relationships that one is in, or, or the work, or, or, or social situation is one in. Um, any of that, emotions, nervous system, mind, relational uh, occupational, whatever it is, um, or combination of, of those kinds of dukkha. And one option is, as I said, um, being with that dukkha, with the emotional body, with the energy body, and caring for it um, in the ways that we've described before. And out of that kind of crucible, if you like, in the crucible of the alchemical vessel, um, an imaginal image arises, or we sense the situation with soul. We could say it may not be uh, that the image is, uh, it, it might be the situation itself becomes image, or I become image, and I look just the same in the image as I do now. It's not, it doesn't appear that different than uh, what we might call material consensual reality, or or something might be very different. But some kind of sensing with soul emerges out of the crucible, out of the alchemical vessel and heat and of the difficulty, because of the way we're uh, being intimate with it and connecting with it, with the energy body, with the emotional body, etc., etc. And that uh, that uh, imaginal perception, that sensing with soul, does something to the energy body. What was uh, 
a feeling of agitation and disharmony and unsettledness and jangliness in the energy where it went with the dukkha actually now becomes a, a, a sense in the energy body palpable and um, uh, immediate of harmony. Something, in, to use a certain language, the nervous system has been regulated through the emergence of the image through the emergence of the imaginal, through the sensing with soul, the nervous system has has been regulated, if we use that, that language. Something has been soothed, something has been healed. Um, but it's not so much uh, through addressing the nervous system directly. Um, not so much in this case, uh, through that trajectory I've just described, through addressing the energy body and playing with the samatha of ways of breathing or imagining the energy body, etc. Um, not so much through um, thinking about one's personal uh, family history or, or wounding or whatever it is. So there's just one option um, among other kind of angles of approach to dukkha. But what what for this to work, um, it has what arises has to be imaginal, has to be soul-making. For, and remember, that's for me now. In other words, uh, as we said, the imaginal is uh, it's only for a person now, for 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 me now. What was imaginal for me yesterday may not be imaginal, or a year ago may not be imaginal for me now. And uh, so it has to be. Um, Alive as image for me now, and and images transform. So, for example, as I shared the other day, there was you know that lonely wanderer image. It might be that x um, x months ago or years ago that that image or or the solitary soldier that image might have done its alchemical healing work. Uh, because it was alive for me as image as it was, and transform the dukkha and relieve the dukkha. Um, but it might be that today, or some weeks later, some years later, that image has transformed. And uh, whether the image as it used to be still would still function for healing, or, or, or whether it needs the new one, there's not a formula for this. You know, we can't predict it, but we actually feel when something is imaginal in the moment. So it has to be imaginal f- for me now. Or something comes into my mind and uh, as a kind of spark, a poetic spark, an imaginal spark, and uh, something serving to um, help me see or sense the situation with soul. And often what arises um, in image may, uh, as I said, I may borrow someone or, or use as an image someone who is um, a historical person uh, or an actual person in my life. But when they're image for me, when they're imaginal for me, um, they don't, my imaginal sense of this person. Uh, doesn't have to conform to uh, what is actual historical reality. So I remember having, um, actually exactly uh, 
this kind of situation where the mind wouldn't settle, the nervous system was kind of jangly, and there was some kind of agitation, and um, it was related to a uh, what I felt to be a difficult political work situation um, that I was unsure how to r- relate to, how to kind of enter into the relationships there. And I had an, uh, a book by Michel Foucault had uh, arrived in the post and I just glanced at it and read the sort of tiny bio on, on the back. And that had uh, 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 that came into my mind and uh, the, the sort of image of him and he functioned as an imaginal spark um, for me. But in my image of him, um, I had um, assumed several things about how he was, and and I noticed, oh, he died quite young, and assumed, oh, maybe he um, died of this, and, and maybe he was this kind of personality. And then... And, and that image triggered something else and triggered something else. And, and the whole situation that I was in regarding these meetings that were coming up around work, etc., became imaginal for me in a way that just immediately um, released a lot of energy, a lot of harmonization um, in the energy body. And uh, the, the uh, settling of the nervous system, the regulating of the nervous system, Later, when out of curiosity, I googled um, uh, uh, Michel Foucault and, and read about him, and found that what what had functioned as a image, imaginal image for me, so helpfully, um, what had made him so helpful as an imaginal image for me, wasn't actually historically accurate. Um, so it doesn't matter when we have historical figures or famous figures or whatever it is or even friends um, who are who have become imaginal images for us it doesn't matter that it corresponds that completely with so-called historical reality um, but something happens the dukkha um, is relieved the, the nervous system is regulated the emotions have some kind of healing um, and the, the the perception of a situation that is difficult is transformed, as also is the perception of self. Um, is not to say that it's transformed in a way that it's no longer difficult. As I said, it's just become uh, bland and without problem, without challenge. Um, there may exist in that situation a calling. This is part of the duty of the image. So it's not that no problem, uh, no self, no problem, um, no issue here. Um, with the image, the situation might still be a challenge, uh, but the self has become imaginal, the situation has become imaginal, and with that it issues a duty, or the soul issues a duty as part of that, and that still might be challenging. Still might have uh, be quite... Um, uh, a lot of emotion and energy tied up in that situation. So we're not talking about just a a relief and a kind of um, bleeding out of the life of the situation. Um, It's still charged in a way, but but the emotions are more harmonized. They're harmonized with the imaginal self and the imaginal sense of the situation. 
with the sense of duty that might emerge with the image, there's there's a clarity about um, direction, about um, what one gains in there, a poise, a stance, a resolve, uh, some kind of empowerment with all this. And the whole thing has become soul-making. The whole thing feels soul-making. That doesn't mean it's without challenge. That doesn't mean even that it's without... Um, as I said, difficult emotion. Um, but there's everything that characterizes soul-making. There's beauty, there's duty, there's meaningfulness. All of that. So if I pick up on the examples I've used um, in, in these talks and quite a few times over the last few years, um, the examples of the solitary wanderer and the soldier, the solitary soldier warrior. It might be that in a certain situation of suffering, a certain difficult situation, or what is perceived as such, a certain difficult um, social situation, uh, that with the rendering or allowing or opening up of the imaginal perception of the sensing with soul of that whole um, social constellation that um, as that the dukkha is transformed something is transformed and some but some dukkha still remains there may still be a certain kind of loneliness remaining it's the loneliness of that solitary wanderer um, it remains but something uh, some some large part of the dukkha has gone um, it may be that a certain kind of battling remains in whatever situation one is standing up for what one believes need needs standing up for and speaking up for and one is resisting what one believes in 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 one's soul needs resisting one is speaking out one is um, putting one's perhaps uh, life or career on the line or whatever it is so that a lot is transformed, a lot of the dukkha drains out of the situation, uh, and kind of a lot of the discombobulation clarifies and aligns, and there is that poise, but still a certain kind of dukkha, uh, in this, for these examples, you know, the, the dukkha of the solitary wanderer. Uh, and the dukkha of the solitary warrior. But that dukkha, because it's now seen in in the imaginal um, opening out, that dukkha is given place. It has a place, it has a rooting, a grounding in the imaginal, in the mundus imaginalis. It has a rooting in soul. Um, it has uh, the nobility and the beauty and the meaningfulness uh, that is given to it by by finding its place, taking its place, or being or its place being recognised, its rooting and grounding being recognised in soul, which is also just to say in the divine or in some kind of divinity. So there is this dukkha, but it has um, or. This beauty to it. Uh, there can still be the sense of purpose, of nobility of different kinds. There is still the love. 
So that solitary wanderer, there's a lot of love there. Uh, there is, he is the recipient of a lot of love. Um, there's still, as I said, one doesn't abandon one's duty. One may be even given a duty through the relationship with the imaginal, as we've touched on and pointed out several times. The whole thing becomes imbued with a meaningfulness set in a kind of fluid and light structure of meaningfulness. The whole thing receives or opens to a sense of dimensionality. Life and dukkha and whatever situation we are in and oneself and all of it begin to be sensed with soul, to be seen as image. And part of that, as we've uh, elaborated in the first talk of this series, is this kind of, this sense of infinite echoing or infinite mirroring of um, image and life, of self and image, of my story and my endeavors in the world and this imaginal figure or, or whatever it is. And that sense uh, and the mystery of that infinite echoing and mirroring comes as a blessing. It adds a, a, a texture of um, profound and sweet blessing, uh, although some kind of um, uh, strand of what we could call dukkha um, remains um, through this whole thing. But because of that, the, the, the large part of the dukkha is attenuated, is, is, is released, is freed. Um, so in terms of part of what I want to do as I said is to situate the um, soul making path in uh, alongside and in context with um, other other paths and approaches in particular around uh, approaches to dukkha so that one could for example approach Dukkha with, uh, as we just mentioned, a sort of regarding the nervous system as primary. Something has happened, or a situation, or ongoing, or an event, or whatever, and it's kind of jolted or programmed, if you like, the nervous system to get stuck in certain unhelpful patterns. Um, it can be very difficult. And so one can approach the dukkha that then arises at any time with a um, conception that places the nervous system as primary and also an approach that kind of heads straight for the nervous system and looking at that, and that's great and, and fine. Or one can um, regard uh, actually one's, for example, history with the family or, or what everyone's personal um, psychological history and regard that as primary. So obviously related to the nervous system, not completely the same, um, overlapping. And and again, take that as the primary approach. This dukkha now, how does it mirror what happened to me when I was a child, etc.? The situation I found myself in and go back to that and heal that, so to speak, open that up, address that first, and then allow the situation to, uh, he the current situation to heal from that. Wonderful, too. 
um, or one can turn one's attention and place one's um, conceptual primacy, give conceptual primacy of place to the, the current actual uh, relations and what do they need, uh, how do they need to be addressed, what is skillful relationship here, what's actually going on in, in the room. And all, ki- all kinds of other possibilities too. But these are all, as I said, possible uh, conceptual frameworks and possible um, practical approaches in terms of what they what they approach first, uh, primarily, and and what kind of is <coughs> in a conceptual structure given sort of uh, primacy of place. Um, but there is also uh, the possibility to approach via the imaginal first, via sensing the soul. That that becomes the the kind of leaning of the approach at times, not always, uh, but one one approach among other options would be to uh, look for, if you like, the imaginal. Where is the imaginal? If you like here, what needs to emerge? Is it something that needs to be um, revealed here? Some image or some way of sensing the soul that can emerge, and that can be, if you like, the the, the primary leaning of the practical approach. And and we can uh, create or discover a conceptual framework that gives the uh, the soul in our sense of the word, or the imaginal in our sense of the word. Uh, uh, um, conceptual primacy. In other words, we 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 regard that as the uh, the sort of foundational factor, if you like. Actually, one one can see that um, all these uh, <coughs> all these are tools, and all these are aspects of. Um, of, of a kind of human situation of dukkha that are mutually dependently arising. Um, in other words, um, what's happening in the nervous system, and whether it's regulated or not, and what kind of patterns gain, gain kind of uh, control at any time in the nervous system. How we see a social situation or a work situation that's difficult, um, the the actual situation we're in, and how we perceive it, um, what images of self are operating um, in the plural there, images, and whether they're imaginal or not, the relative activation of the erotic imaginary, in other words, the the energy body sense, all of these are actually mutually dependent arising. In other words, as I said, what is the sort of um, dominant and dominating state of the nervous system um, depends um, on how I'm paying attention to the energy body, and vice versa. And my perception of this this social situation that I'm in, or this difficult work situation, or whatever it is, depends on the energy body and the state of the nervous system. And my perception of the um, situation that I'm in 
also depends on whether that's imaginal or not. In other words, I can have an imaginal perception of that and how I'm paying attention to the energy body and what is the sense in the energy body. All these factors are mutual dependent arisings. And sometimes what happens um, for us as human beings is we, we forget that. In fact, we forget it a lot. And we want to, and we want to kind of uh, or, or we find ourselves clinging to some conceptual framework, even if we don't think we are, that kind of forgets about the mutual dependent arising of these things. So it wants to take one of these things, for example, the nervous system, for example, the family history, um, or whatever, and place it as primary. Um, for example, um, the uh, embryonic history, or whatever, or for example image um, and um, and kind of focus on that as the most important thing and the most foundational thing um, forgetting that how I see my history actually depends on all kinds of things in the present moment like what's happening in the energy body like what's happening in the nervous system like uh, what kind of images are operating, how kind of authentically imaginal they are, um, like what social situation I'm in, in the present also influences my my perception of the past. Also, all of these, we can, we can paint arrows of causation, or we should realize that the arrows of causation move among every node there and others, and in, and in all directions. Mutual dependent between all So, as I said, really just want to highlight the um, imaginal and the sensing with soul as one option among others, um, possibly among many others, including many Dharma approaches. Um, and I've also given examples of how we can um, be in a situation with another person and perhaps we're experiencing dukkha of some kind and this is our friend or a teacher or something and um, something is communicated by that person from us or by us to that person and the, the one who is suffering is able to see imaginally, to sense with soul. Something has been communicated either because the other has uh, an image alive for them or feels something in the present moment um, of image or sees the suffering that we are in imaginally and they communicate it to us. So the imaginal is communicated in the field and then we catch that spark. Something of the imaginal perception, something of the sensing of soul is ignited in us through the field, through what is being given to us by another, as I described in, in, in one talk. So I described um, a situation Skyping with Catherine and I was struggling around this uh, possibility of, of um, or, or questioning what would happen with some creative work that was really important to me. Um, and she saw me um, imaginally, communicated that to me, and then that helped uh, helped me see 
the whole situation and the whole sort of work and, and what would happen to it and myself in relation to the work, etc., um, see that as image. I, I was able then to sense that with soul and the dukkha went out of the situation. The beauty came in, the soul-making expanded the whole thing and uh, it was a bit, it was clearer what to do, what my poise and relationship and stance and duty was in relation in relation to that. Or I shared the um, story of the woman who um, who I'd, I'd voiced the 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 words that I heard, the image that I that was kind of um, vaguely emerging for me as she was telling me uh, something in her history that was very difficult that happened some decades before, and I voiced the um, the kind of poetic phrase or image of the sacred prostitute and something was communicated picked up on by me communicated to her and then she was able to perceive that whole history and herself and the whole trajectory of her life in in this um imaginal imaginally filled out way it be- it became um rich with image it was transformed the whole situation was like given its, uh, found its mirroring, its echoing in the mundus imaginalis, or the situation was seen as a kind of contracted echoing. What happened in the history was seen as a contracted echoing, a contracted, distorted mirroring of 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 an image of of uh, something, if you say, in in the imaginal realm. Um, as a teacher, there have been—I mean, just completely lost count of how how often this happens. Um, that I might be working with someone and, and kind of uh, um, e- either I sense a, an image as potential, something I glimpse something, um, or I sometimes even sense what wants to happen in the energy body of the other, or see. The image of their energy body, or all kinds of things, very very subtle and, and not really a big deal. Um, and then in communicating that, um, that other person is uh, kind of um, taps into an image, and uh, you know, for instance, may may open up to a different different. Uh, sense of themselves, because they're sensing themselves with soul, different sense of their body, different sense of empowerment, perhaps a kind of empowerment that's really not familiar to them. Sometimes, you know, working with people, sometimes I'm a little, um, I'm a little unsure. Uh, On the one side, there is this real potential to communicate images in in a field so that um, another picks up on and, and their sensing with soul is ignited. Um, as we said, on the other hand, I sometimes just wonder how how much should I say or kind of input um, and what, what the timing of that is. One wonders, does it matter where it arises first in a field, um, the image? Um, And of course, you know, again, there'll be many um, examples where um, where I actually 
and I might be working with someone or you're with someone and the image arises just in them and one is just a kind of uh, witness or holding space or whatever um, so all this of course um, can and again I hope you've seen that, that it, it can happen um, in, in a field and it can also happen um, alone uh, in, in one's practice in solitude <clears throat> my pointed out, I think it was in an eros unfettered, that, you know, there might be times or situations where there's uh, a desire to be with a particular person uh, romantically, sexually, and one feels uh, stuck because this other person is, that's not what they want in the relationship with us, or there's a very clear boundary, it's not possible, or um, something. And one it, one finds oneself locked into a kind of grasping and clinging and kind of stuck with the dukkha of that craving in relation to this person. There is some eros, but there's also a lot of craving mixed up with it, and the whole thing's just um, painful. And and then if we're actually in some kind of relationship with them, perhaps we're friends or whatever it is, that relationship also becomes quite difficult because of this stuck clinging that's there and grasping. Um, and I drew attention to the, I think, very important possibility of rather than um, only the option of, you know, let go, put it down, cool off, find what you want um, somewhere else, etc. Look at what one's dragging in here um, that's inappropriate, perhaps it doesn't really belong here, that needs a different kind of healing, as well as all those options and many more. Um, there is the option too of uh, letting that person uh, become image even more, become imaginal even more. So at dwelling with them, uh, with the image of them meditatively and tuning in to all these elements of the imaginal we described in the first talk of the series and, and letting that amplify, letting that fill out, letting it flesh out and gain that richness and dimensionality in allowing oneself, encouraging oneself even to dwell meditatively, mindfully, sensitively, exploringly with the image of this person and tuning to them as image, as um, a potentially soul-making image. As we've described, then what happens is we start picking up on the some or other imaginal uh, aspects or elements of that whole imaginal constellation. And there's this ignition, as we notice a certain aspect, there's the ignition of that particular aspect, the illumination of it as imaginal image, and then the whole constellation. And, as we've said before, one of the elements of that imaginal constellation will be the very sense of imaginal middle way the very sense of theatre, the very sense of not quite real, not quite not real. Neither category seems to apply. This is one of the things that will make all the difference. Instead of, I need to manifest a concrete, romantic, or sexual, or whatever kind of relationship with this person, um, the whole thing, the very 
<coughs> sense of them is is expanded, altered, enriched, deepened, widened, uh, made allowed to become uh, more imaginal, allowed to become more authentically imaginal. Like kind of wanted to be in the first place, perhaps. So there's a sense we're not mistaking. Uh, we're seeing image as image. We're not mistaking um, potential image for um, concrete reality or something that needs to be concretized. So that's one of the aspects uh, and elements of the imaginal constellation that, that, that we actually encourage and support to, to become more obvious to us, to become more um, palpable to us. So we don't make that mistake between insisting on this material fact ensuing and actually what is image, what is the mundus imaginalis, what is theophany. That's one aspect if we, if we allow ourselves to uh, dwell and, uh, and tune sensitively to uh, the image of this person. And the second is that in the whole soul-making dynamic that's supported by that kind of sensitive um, uh, tuning, in in the whole soul-making dynamic that um, opens up there, uh, we create and discover the more that pothos wants. Remember how we describe the whole dynamic that Eros pushes on because Eros wants more connection, more contact, more penetration, more intimacy, more touch, whatever. That's the pothos in the eros. Want it always more. And that um, if we if we don't allow things to open up on the dimensions of the imaginal, we pursue that more we can only pursue that more in one place, in concrete reality. Or we have to, so to speak, shut everything down, shut the eros down, uh, go back to um, just letting go or, or whatever it is. And there's a third option, if you like, the option of the erotic imaginal opening up the soul-making uh, dynamic and hence this, the, the sensing the soul. So that um, the more that we are, that eros seeks, that the pothos in the eros seeks, um, is created and discovered um, in that soul-making dynamic, in the eros psyche logos, um, uh, mutual fertilization, widening, deepening, complication. I have, then, more intimacy, more faces, aspects of the beloved to become intimate with. Different light shines through, more deeper, wider, more varied. I have all kinds of intimacy there in that in that in those dimensions. So, and, and with all that, there is the meaningfulness, the beauty, the divinity as part of the dimensionality, and all that. I'm actually receiving all that as grace through allowing the image to expand rather than shutting it down, or rather locking. Uh, onto it as and demanding it manifest um, concretely, physically. So in receiving more, and all the beauty of that and all the gift of that, and in uh, 
recognizing the imaginal middle way as one of the elements of the imaginal in the constellation there. Um, the clinging is reduced, the grasping, the fixation is reduced. The pressure then of the situation is, is reduced, including the pressure that I am putting on this person and, and on the actuality of whatever our, 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 our material relationship is. Less pressure in my psyche because there is more, because the soul-making dynamic opening up has created more, more vistas, more um, facets and sides of the beloved and of myself and of the eros, more dimensions of all that, larger, deeper, there is more space, so less pressure. And with the relaxing of the, the grasping and with the relaxing of the pressure, not only does that person then maybe feel less pressured by my insistence on some on some actual form, material form of our relationship, but I also, my dukkha is eased through that relaxation of clinging and through the uh, through the relaxation of the pressure. Uh, so this is a really, really um, important. Uh, possibility. Um, two things about that. One to point out, which I perhaps didn't uh, make clear when I first described the, that that possibility, is that that's not necessarily that easy. Um, uh, it's. It takes. You know. It might take a lot of practice and um, a lot of skill there um, to be able to do that but it really is possible it really is possible it's almost like they become bigger we become bigger through the soul making expansion the um, the whole kind of contraction of the craving is 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 released and the whole thing issues in a different um, in a different sense um, so the first thing is Three things. One is it really is possible, and um, it would be remiss of me, I think, to, to, to not to not stand by that possibility and not point out that possibility. But it's also important for me to say, yeah, and and that is, you know, that might be quite difficult. It involves quite a uh, a maturity of practice and quite a kind of um, development of one's. Um, skill in imaginal practice and, and with the erotic imaginal to um, to be able to do uh, an effect and allow um, such a transformation. Um, the second thing is um, in, in so doing with this person, so it might be a person that's actually in our life in some form of relationship or some kind of relationship uh, or other but it's not the kind of relationship that this that we think we want or the craving wants. Um, so if we're practicing this way, it doesn't, again, none of this means a turning away from dukkha. None of this means also um, a turning away from actual relationship and avoiding this person or not. Uh, it doesn't mean not taking care of um, you know any potential difficulties we might have uh, in in our relating. So we still um, 
we still need to address and approach the actual relationship and what it needs. Because often when there's a lot of clinging and one person really wants something and the other um, isn't, that, that, that brings a lot of difficulty into the actual relating. So that also, uh, if one is, is actually in communication with this person, that needs um, relating to. And then the inner work may be, uh, in this kind of angle of possibility, may also be this opening up the whole imaginal perception, the opening up of the whole sensing with soul, of other, of self, etc., and of the eros itself. All that is possible. But it's not at the expense of, or instead of, um, uh, taking care of the actual relationship. And what actually happens then, if one works with this way, with this kind of difficulty, you know, you may end up in a romantic sexual relationship with this person, um, but you may not. But in a way that becomes much less important, because you've got something else uh, that in a way was um, the essence of what your soul was wanting, often. Now, I, I could um, I could give so many examples of um, instances where where there really was uh, something very disturbing uh, going on um, a memory um, or a person was really um, disturbed by seeing what their impulses were in certain situations or in certain relationships um, or a set of events that's really difficult, or situation one's in, or self-images that are really, uh, again, disturbing or painful or contracted, um, or uh, all of that. So many instances I could give, um, I, I won't actually now, but so many instances I could give where, where the suffering of these different kinds, whether it's in relation to impulses one sees in oneself, or memories, or situations, or events, past and present, or potentially in the future, self um, self constructs and images that are very painful, not imaginal, um, etc. And, and and whatever the dukkha is can seem really um, almost like irredeemable, terrible. Um, one, one shouldn't even let this uh, get the light of day, you know, let alone share it with another person. Shameful, pathological, weird, etc. So many instances, um, and some I'm actually not sharing just because, uh, you know, the, the immediate effect might, might be to be disturbed by, um, by what one hears. Um, also because I've, I've given a lot of examples already. Um, but what can happen, um, what really is possible with, uh, I've seen this over and over and over again, is that this which seemed so strange, so terribly difficult, pathological, and, and, and a kind of hopeless um, uh, uh, thing, um, was through the soul-making practice, it became some it or something... Um, uh, or something became image. The whole thing was seen with soul, starting with the dukkha, 
maybe that the sense of that dukkha, the thing that was dukkha, um, was then seen imaginally. And, and in that kind of transformed or transubstantiated or, or an, as I said, an image or sensing the soul emerged from that uh, thing, that uh, difficulty, from becoming intimate and uh, intimate with it. And then there was um, this, uh, uh, some, some kind of release of dukkha. Not avoiding the problem, but going into it in a way that opens up uh, the sensing the soul. And, uh, and then that opens up the whole situation, opens up the sense of the dukkha without kind of dissolving it uh, completely. It, it transforms it. And in a lot of these um, transformations that I'm describing, and I have described, um, one wonders whether uh, it's actually, or whether, whether one way of conceiving would be, as I mentioned earlier, that the image is actually primary. It's almost that in this difficulty, in this pathology, in this terrible... Um, thing or this impulse that I have or even in the, in the memories and events or situations I'm in in this contracted self image that seems just can't be helpful at all, one wonders sometimes whether it's almost like there, there's an imaginal image or potentially imaginal image kind of not hiding but buried in there and uh, that the healing, the liberation the relief from dukkha um, comes when it is revealed. The image was there all along. It perhaps was driving the um, the whole uh, difficult pattern. And this is what what I meant when I said right from the beginning, um, theatre of cells and all that. Image is primary. What what would it be to consider image as primary? What would it be to entertain the conception that image is primary. So we'll say, that's there, buried. Somehow we've gotten into um, kind of wrong relationship with that image. Um, and what could have been eros, or what started off as eros, got contracted into craving, which brought more contraction. What started off as as image, and potentially imaginal image, was grasped the wrong way, and... Um, and became what we what we call a fixated image, not imaginal image, reified, uh, or became in other language kind of papancha. Um, in if you again trace your own examples where this has happened for you, or if you recount to yourself different examples that you've perhaps heard me uh, give of this transformation of dukkha through the erotic imaginal and through the sensing of soul. And 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 play with, um, oh, I could see that in a way that conceives of the image as as primary, um, not my history as primary uh, in itself in in the usual way we think about that causally, not my trauma as primary, not my nervous system as primary, not my uh, whatever it is. Um, but actually, one could at times, and again, this is just one option among others, and that's something I'll come back to. Um, one could, um, I think it would be a very good exercise, like if you really want to um, 
fertilize and, and, and till the soil of your understanding and your grasp and your taste for these practices and this whole path. It's, it's really good to kind of play with the conceiving. So as I said, trace it um, if you can bring to, to mind instances where you have undergone this kind of transformation of dukkha through the imaginal, through the sensing of soul. Or, um, um, or you've heard me or someone else give, give an example of that, of that uh, movement. And can you, can you kind of see that in many of those instances one could actually kind of reconfigure the conception to see actually there's a kind of a seed image in there. And that seed image has been kind of related to in the wrong way, and all this difficulty has come out of it. Um, and Eros, as I said, become contracted into craving, imag- potentially imaginary, which has become um, fixated image, or papancha. And what may be required from this perspective uh, for healing, for liberation, for relief, and easing of the dukkha, is the um, the the revealing, the discovery, or creation slash discovery of the of the imaginal image, the uncovering of the imaginal image at the at the core of the pathology. You understand? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.